Hey, everybody. I am here today with our good friend Jonathan Rossi back on the podcast today, the CEO of Cardex. How are you doing today, Jonathan? I'm doing well, thanks, James. Great to be back with you. Absolutely. So uh, Patty and I are talking to John today about this exciting news where uh, in Oklahoma, the attorney general has declared their surcharge ban to be unconstitutional. Um, So before we dive into that, uh, Jonathan, what I was hoping you could do is, can you give us kind of an overview? It's been a few months since we've talked about surcharging in in terms of the the state law and stuff. Where are we at right now? Give us like the high level overview. I know we're, we're hopefully marching towards a 50 state strategy. Where are we at and where do you kind of see Oklahoma in this in this mix? Uh, that's a great question. You know, I, and one of the reasons I'm pleased to be back on now is that I, I was realizing when I was doing some prep for this interview that last time I was on the podcast was quarter one of 2019. So right. it's good to be back about a year later sharing some, uh, some exciting right. updates. And uh, I think you touched right on it. Uh, we're currently serving merchants in 46 states. And probably what's most exciting for today's conversation is that that 46, uh, as of last month, now includes the state of Oklahoma, uh, where merchants can adopt surcharging. Uh, so we've signed our first Oklahoma merchants, which is great. They're up and running. Awesome. Uh, and we're, in terms of that recap, uh, we are not yet in Colorado, uh, Connecticut, Kansas, or Massachusetts, uh, but we're actively working on each one of those states as well. And I've been flying all around the country, actually, as part of that effort. Uh, sure. And you asked an interesting question, James, about how Oklahoma fits into sort of the national trend. Uh, And if I may, I actually wanted to tell you a a personal anecdote, uh, rewinding the clock back to 2013, uh, when I was considering, uh, should I go work for a big law firm as a staff lawyer, or should I start this thing focused on the regulatory opportunity around surcharging? Back then, I hadn't even heard of the name CardX. And I talked to someone uh, who, and I don't want to name names at this time, but he's one of the executives at one of the large acquirers, and in summer 2013, I drove up to the northern suburbs of Chicago because uh, I wanted to get his advice on this idea that I had. And we met for breakfast. And he came to that breakfast meeting with a document printed out. Uh, and it was an article in American Banker. And, Patty, I'm sure you know American Banker. It's a great publication. Uh, I, uh, I, I, I used to write for them. Oh, there you go. Oh, perfect. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is the right audience after all. That's great. That's great. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, it was called, you may remember this piece uh, by a gentleman named Kevin Wack. It was right. called 18 States Considering Bans on Credit Card Surcharges. So I was yes. at this breakfast meeting. Remember, this is 2013. Right. Uh, and he, he, this person at the acquire, slid this document across the table and said, look, you cannot do this. This article had a map of all these states shaded. This was back when the card brands introduced the rules allowing credit card surcharging. Right. In some states at that time, additional state legislatures were considering banning it, which would have been right. really bad for, for business, really bad for consumers. Uh, and so he basically said, this doesn't have legs. Look at this map. And now fast forward to today. Uh, I'm, I'm really proud to share that as of a couple weeks ago, there's a follow-up article in American Banker, uh, in which I was pleased to be featured, uh, called Once Banned Credit Card Surcharges Gain Momentum. Just, and this, yes. there's an updated map yeah. in there. And it says a surge in surcharging, which I love. Uh, so first of all, that person couldn't have been more wrong. I have right. to say that for the record. But uh, <laughs> more importantly, we're actually expanding uh, the office next month. And I think we're going to, James, you've been here and visited yeah. us. And we're going to have those two articles framed in reception. Because uh-huh. for me, I think it says a lot about our story. You know, Absolutely. I'm honored to have played my part in that. And uh, that says a lot, I think, about this, this national shift. And the way that I would characterize it is, there's been a real shift in the conversation about surcharging. Uh, from several years back, people were asking, 
does surcharging have legs like I just referenced? And I think the people on this, uh, on this podcast right now, James, Patty, you, and, and myself, we were like a cabal maybe that fervently believed yes, but it was certainly a smaller number then. But now everyone sees it's here to stay. Right, right. Uh, merchants are using it successfully at scale. Industry sells it very profitably. It's headed in just one direction. We're definitely headed to all 50 states, no doubt about that. And now the question is not, does surcharging have legs? The question is, everyone wants to do it. So what does it mean to do surcharging with excellence? And we're really excited about that. Yeah. Hey, Jonathan, can I just ask you a quick question? And I mentioned this to James Please. before. I had... Um, in prepping for this call, I had pulled up your website and saw, you know, the little map that you have on there in terms of, you know, states that you serve. And I, you know, and I think that I wanted to just bring this as a clarification for some of our listeners. You know, the thing is, as I understand it, and looking at your map, uh, government entities and education entities are not necessarily banned from using surcharges from surcharging in the states where businesses are. Is that true? And can you maybe just explain why? Well, that's a great question. That is absolutely true. Uh, So in those states where we're not yet operating with the surcharge solution, Colorado, Connecticut, uh, Kansas, and Massachusetts, we actually serve government in all four of those states. And in those states, uh, in some cases, education is permitted. And Uh education actually takes on a different definition, almost state to state. Sometimes it's just public schools. Sometimes it's public and private. Sometimes it's K through 12 or just higher ed. Actually, there's a lot of complexity there, uh, but we kind of have our arms around it and it's all on that map for everyone to consume. Uh, And I'll just mention that was one of the, I mean, I don't think it's too much to say uh, hypocrisies actually about surcharge bans from the beginning. That they were... Absolutely. Yeah, you got it. Government was saying business can't do this, but when you pay your tax bill or your water bill, uh, guess what? Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yes, that's an interesting point you made. Yeah, I just was that was what struck me was hypocrisy of it. You know, it's like what's good for me is not necessarily good for you business people. Agreed. And in the Italian colors case uh, some time ago, the judge of reviewing the California law made that point exactly. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for so, clarifying. Yeah. So definitely. So Jonathan, let's let's dive into this Oklahoma thing. So one, the thing that struck me, and and I'm not the legal expert that you are. So when I looked at this, and it says, you know, the attorney general has like, you know, put out this official opinion um, that this the surcharge ban is unconstitutional. I'm a little confused by that. What what exactly is an official opinion? What kind of force does that have? Is that eventually going to become a law, or like, what is an official opinion, and why does that actually matter? Oh, that's a great question. And some people also ask me, uh, is this the first step? Is this the last step? Are right. we done in the state of Oklahoma? And that's a great question. So right. uh, we are done. I, we consider it final. Uh, I mentioned we're already serving Oklahoma merchants, which is great. And so what is uh, an official opinion letter? Well, the first thing I'd say is you think about the role of the attorney general. Uh, so the attorney general is the chief law enforcement officer of a state. Uh, so it's his job to enforce the law. And this is his official opinion of how the law will be enforced. So this document uh, speaks to our facts. It's a great analysis of the constitutional cases that brought us here. Uh, So it entirely gives us confidence to operate in Oklahoma. And basically what it says is the AG uh, would not enforce the law against a merchant using a surcharge solution consistent with this set of facts because he believes that would be unconstitutional. Does that help? It, it does, yeah. So I'm, I actually, yeah. I, I really though didn't know that actually prior to this call. As far as, you know, I thought the attorney general wasn't really at liberty to interpret the laws that uh, he or she would or would not enforce. 
but I, I like, you know what I mean? Like how to, I mean, I don't want to get too far into the weeds with it, of course, but like, isn't there, I mean, I realize practically speaking, you can surcharge now in Oklahoma and I don't really see any, any mm-hmm. change in that. And I agree mm-hmm. with you, but you know, from a, from a government perspective and a, and a legal perspective, I mean, aren't there additional steps that would need to be taken so that a future attorney general that may decide that they do want to enforce that law wouldn't be able to do so? Well, you know, the good thing is you look around at how opinion letters are used, not just in our uh, industry, but in other industries as well. Uh, This kind of thing is sometimes the most valuable document you have for Hmm. providing perspective on the state of the law without actually going to court. So if you don't have a case or controversy, if you're not actually in court, this is something that provides perspective. And then you see in other industries, it actually is extensively relied on if there ever is a future opportunity for a judge to look at the law and look at a set of facts. Uh, but no, I, I think it's a great document that speaks to our set of facts. Okay. Awesome. So, so what you're saying then is that the chances of a future AG coming in, a future Oklahoma AG coming in and overturning this opinion isn't really that great. And I would just sort of add to that, when you look at what this attorney general used in terms of his uh, analysis, uh, all of the background facts still sort of point to this, right? I think so. And you know what else is important to note is that the AG, not only in this state, but in any other state, is not losing all of those great consumer protection laws that if there's a bad actor out there that's charging fees that aren't disclosed or charging fees in excess of what they're saying, or maybe trying to use fees as a profit center, you still have consumer protection law. You still have laws about false advertising. So they still have a very big toolbox for making sure that you're looking out for consumers. And actually, if you think about it, the, the fact that they're getting rid of the surcharge ban now means there are a number of merchants in the state of Oklahoma who are actually taking credit cards for the first time. So that means a lot more choice is now benefiting all those consumers in Oklahoma. Sure. And I think they view that as a very good thing. Hmm. That's, a, that's a really interesting perspective. I hadn't thought of it that way, but that's, that's a good point. So kind of like by not doing a, a, an outright a, you know, repeal of all the, the laws about the surcharge ban, there are still those protections that they can enforce when someone is surcharging in a way that's not you know, beneficial to the consumer and, and things like that. That's really interesting. Definitely. Um, yeah. Okay, so uh, I want to talk a little bit about um, you know how you ended up uh, you know being involved in this and, and how this process got rolling. So as I was reading it, it looked like there was a state senator that that had a role in requesting this review by the attorney general. Can you maybe talk a little bit about that and kind of how this process got started in Oklahoma? Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you asked. And you know, this is another opportunity to kind of think about uh, the podcast we had about a year ago because I mentioned we'd be doing this. Uh, that the part of our overall strategy at Cardex is working with the AGs of states that still have these no surcharge laws, bringing light to this issue. So in this case, we initiated the process. Uh, we approached Oklahoma State Senator Michael Brooks, uh, who was absolutely fantastic, really uh, understood the issue, understood how it was hurting businesses and consumers in his state. Uh, so our role was really showing him what the issue was and how this law, the no surcharge law, was out of step with where our industry, the payments industry, is heading. Uh, so part of the process in Oklahoma is that a lawmaker can request an official opinion from the AG. And different states uh, may have a different process. But uh, I love that this is a bipartisan effort. I actually think that says something pretty exciting about surcharging as an issue generally yeah. across the country. Uh, mm-hmm. So this very much was bipartisan. Uh, and, you know, one thing I also want to say about all the states we work on, including in Oklahoma, when we're meeting with decision makers, uh, they always want to know, why is surcharging good for my state? So part of what they care about, of course, is the constitutional background. But all that aside, it's about policy. How is this going to help uh, the state of Oklahoma, small business, mm-hmm. consumers? And there are three things I, I always point out. One, I, I just said a moment ago, 
without the option to surcharge, uh, many businesses don't even take credit cards. So with a solution like ours, they're actually accepting credit cards for the first time mm-hmm. because they have the option to pass on the fee, and that means a lot more choice. But another point that I think is really important that I know you and I have talked about before, but just for any listeners who may not have heard it, think about it this way. Uh, total interchange fees in the U.S. have gone up 77% since 2012. Uh, mm-hmm. So this is a pain point that every business has top right. of mind. And if they don't have the option to pass on the fee, the option to surcharge, what do they do? Well, typically they raise their prices on everybody. Right. And raising their prices on everybody penalizes consumers who are using cash and debit. And the right. average credit card user actually is getting a subsidy of more than $1,100 a year from people using cash and debit for precisely that reason. So once we sort of unpack surcharging and talk about these three benefits, uh, I think it really resonates with our audience. Sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially when you think about the cost to consumers. Right. Exactly. I, mean, I, I would imagine that would be a big driver um, for for state governments, particularly. Yeah, and it even, and that even goes back to an insider's report that uh, Patty that you did a, a while back, uh, maybe a few mm-hmm. months ago, on with the ACLU coming out with their right. article, very much in favor of surcharging and other programs like it because of what you just mentioned, Jonathan. This this kind of you know uh, you know penalty on the the underbanked and those that are using cash, uh, and so it's a very interesting angle. Let Let's pivot though because I, this is so interesting. But there's another angle. The attorney general in his uh, official opinion. Opinion letter, he talked about this free speech argument that, you know, the, mm-hmm. the reason it was unconstitutional is because it was a violation of the business owner's free speech. That was also that argument played a central role in the Expressions Hair Design case in the Supreme Court, which the unanimous ruling kind of kicked off a lot of this. So, Jonathan, I'm really curious about this. The first time I read that with the Supreme Court case a few years ago, I thought, really? Like, that's interesting. So what are your thoughts on this argument about free speech? And also, do you see that playing kind of a central role moving forward in these remaining states? Well, that's a great question you raise. Uh, Definitely, it's a free speech issue. Uh, Part of it is that uh, a discount for cash, these laws previously, let me say, allowed a discount for cash, but not a surcharge for credit. So that is definitionally a regulation of speech, and that's our uh, strong Supreme Court precedent from Expressions Hair Design, as you pointed out. So that flag has been planted. Uh, and aside from sort of that constitutional law framing, I think one way in which it really does ring true to me, this is a First Amendment issue, is you have to think about it this way. Many consumers don't know there's a cost created by using their rewards card. They certainly don't know that merchants in our country paid over $100 billion last year at processing fees. So when you talk to friends who aren't in an industry, hopefully you still have some. I think you do. Uh, when you talk to those <laughs> friends over, <laughs> over dinner, uh, and you, uh, you talk to them about this issue, so many of them will say to you, I didn't even know there was a cost when I, when right. I dipped my card. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. Surcharging brings a lot of transparency to that issue. And remember, the fee that's passed on is not in excess of what that merchant actually pays to us as the provider. So there really is communication of that cost. And I think with surcharging, people are a lot better informed. And to me, that brings me right back to what's at the heart of the First Amendment, that a, that a functioning economy also depends on everyone being fully informed when they make their payment decisions. Isn't it also, though, the, I mean, and again, it may be an issue of semantics, but I mean, the sense I got from reading, I believe it was the uh, Oklahoma uh, AG uh, opinion, was that basically a discount for cash and a surcharge for credit card are one and the same thing. It's just a definitional difference. I mean, it's the same. That's exactly right. 
right? It's like it's, it's like sort telling of like, merchants they're allowed to say it's colder in Chicago, but not allowed to say it's warmer in Florida. It's right. purely a framing. It's purely how you communicate your price, right. and therefore it's commercial speech protected by the First Amendment. Yeah, really interesting. So, so what about Jonathan? These other states? You know, we mentioned there was there's four left. I think you said we have 46 now that you service. Uh, there's these four kind of I would say smaller states left. Um, can you give us any update there? Is there progress being made? Uh, do you are you starting to see any kind of timeline? Uh, you know, in your head of kind of your maybe your objective of like okay, in eighteen months or twenty four months or whatever. Like, what are your thoughts on kind of the timeline moving forward with these other states? That's a great question. Uh, we're actively engaged with those states you mentioned. So Colorado, Connecticut, Kansas, and Massachusetts. We're working on currently. You'll also see us engaging James with uh, New York and Maine. Uh, I actually think we can do a little bit better there. So those states are important to me as well. <laughs> I don't want to quote a timeline just yet, uh, but it's a very important project for me. Sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm, do you I'm mind serious. just briefly, Jonathan, just recapping for everybody what's going on in New York? Because that was what about Definitely. a year ago, and you know New York's I, a I big state, correct. so. Uh, Absolutely. And Maine's in the same bucket, so to speak, as New York, meaning they both, in a sort of different fashion, but they both gave us the same clarity about a a particular model that's permitted, meaning you can charge a fee to cover credit card processing costs now in both of those states, New York and Maine. You can even call it a credit card surcharge, but there continue to be some restrictions about how to display prices in both those states that okay. I believe can be improved upon. So that's the reason I want to engage with them. Well, yeah, and it, okay. and it was, you know, it's, it's a, since I'm the, I'm the less uh, politically savvy one here, I'll just say it in plain language, which is, you know, the Supreme Court, right, Jonathan, basically kicked back and said, your surcharge ban is unconstitutional because you're regulating speech. And so and in response, these two states came back and said, OK, fine, you can surcharge, but we're going to very specifically regulate your speech. <laughs> right. So I don't know. That's how I that's how I interpreted it. But again, you know, uh, not exactly the right way to say it. But I mean, I don't know, Jonathan, it definitely to me strikes me as both of these states, some of the, the restrictions. And it, and it almost like penalizes certain business types where the restrictions are pretty easy for maybe a, an e-commerce or maybe even an attorney or something. But very, very difficult for somebody with 10,000 SKUs or a big menu that they have printed regularly. Well, you know, one of the things, James, that's so interesting about this official opinion letter from Oklahoma is that actually uh, the Attorney General's office went down the road of imagining what if we interpreted the law the same way it was interpreted on remand in Expressions Hair Design, the New York case you're referencing, when it went back uh, to the Second Circuit, when it was uh, a question of state law was certified to the State Court of Appeals. So they say, what if we interpreted the law that way? And they said, even if we interpreted the law that way, it would be found to be unconstitutional. So there might be seeds in this document uh, that are really important going forward. Yeah, yeah, hmm. that's really interesting. interesting. Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, now that we've kind of covered the, you know, where we're at as a country and all of that, I, I really want to transition a little bit and talk about Cardex. Um, you know, can you give us a little update about Cardex? I'm sure you guys are, you mentioned, you know, expanding and, and growing. Any other updates you want to give us about Cardex and some of the things that you're doing to kind of, you know, fill this need now of, hey, you know, it's, it's looking like we're gaining momentum. I think when this gets to 50 states, it's a pretty big deal. Um, what are you doing in preparation for that and in, in scaling up your organization? Well, that's a, uh, I, I'm really pleased you brought that up because uh, I want to bring up something you touched on. So the last time I was on this podcast, I made a lot of predictions. I think a lot of them look great. One that I actually want to tune up, and when I was looking back on it, definitely stuck out to me as something that changed in a big way in 2019. Last time I was here, I said uh, large merchants are really going to look at all 50 states as being an important trigger point. They're going to jump and we have all 50 states. Right. But actually over the last year, since probably spring 2019, 
uh, we have seen a ton of adoption uh, in really? the middle market and large enterprise. So I think another way of framing it, I think the way that our large merchant customers are seeing it, is that surcharging is now available across 94% of the U.S. by population. So 94% of the country uh, is a really big number. It is. Uh, mm-hmm. And maybe even more importantly, they're looking at the space and they're seeing a certain level of maturity. We're delivering a solution at scale. Uh, it's being used successfully. Customer reception is good. They're seeing peer companies perhaps prove it out in their own vertical. So it's reaching a critical mass. So that's not companies like Walmart. Uh, We're not working with them, at least not yet. But we are working with category leaders in spaces like insurance, industrials, technology. And that's been a big part of our growth story since the last time I was on the podcast with you. And one way in which it's actually evolved our business, that's pretty exciting. You know, you always evolve in response to the demand and the need you're seeing. We've always talked about uh, merchants have absolutely no compliance overhead with Cardex. What's actually becoming increasingly important for our large merchants is meeting up with their existing IT and operations practices. Sure. So that could be seamless integration for online payments, uh, great uh, reporting and reconciliation experience. They really need that. And those two things I mentioned, online payments and reporting and reconciliation, those two things plus uh, compliance expertise are where we see competitors falling down, by the way. Uh, so I think an interesting observation there. So in terms of scale, absolutely we're doubling down. Part of it is new product. Uh, we've raised $8.6 million to date in debt and equity financing. So definitely reinvesting in the next generation of product and also a substantial amount of hiring coming up. Uh, we project about 65 additional W-2 employees for 2020. Uh, we're doing wow. a great job bringing in team members. Yeah, uh, we're really pleased with that. And that's just employees to say nothing of all the contractors are going to bring sure. on, you know, sales sure. agents and partners. Sure. Uh, at the same time, I quote that number. And I'm, I'm glad it's exciting. It's exciting to me too. But at the same time, I do not want what Steve Jobs used to lovingly call the bozo years. Okay, we want to scale up in proportion to the amazing demand we're seeing, but we don't want to slacken our standards either. And that's always that line you're walking. Uh, But I definitely want to come on the podcast again when we do these product launches and talk about how these launches really meet not only this SMB, small, medium-sized business demand, but also the large enterprise demand. And I think we're going to do that. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because I feel like that opportunity to go after kind of the larger merchant set, the enterprise account, I mean, <clears throat> that opportunity hasn't been as good um, over the last, you know, five years or so because they've, you know, they've already gotten some pretty good rates as a general rule. They're smart enough to know when they're pay- overpaying and they already, they have already have technology. They're not, you know, uh, Walmart's not interested in Clover, you know. Um, so, you know, it's been a little bit more difficult and, and this is interesting. So I have two more questions for you. Uh, I want to frame the, the my last question with, with one to go before it. So, um, doing what I do, um, I've seen a lot of now coming into the market, I've seen a lot of competitors to Cardex where they have some surcharge solutions, um, but there's been some key things missing in my personal opinion, and I want to give you a chance to talk about what Cardex does in some of these areas just generally to help people kind of understand you know, why, why Cardex, why does this software important. So to give you an example, the, the two biggest things I've noticed with some of the solutions I've seen out there is number one, the the uh, you know consumer or the merchant has to choose debit or credit, and so right. they you know I think you know where, know where I'm going with that, but basically uh, you know there's not a guaranteed kind of compliance there. They're not looking at the bin number and things. So maybe you can touch on that. And then secondly, on the back end, I'm seeing these solutions where 
really it's a it's a solution to help the the merchant increase revenue it's actually not a solution to help them uh, cut expenses meaning right. they have no idea on the back end how much revenue was collected on the front end therefore the statement doesn't reflect any of this and it just creates a situation where the merchant kind of has the it looks at the merchant like well I'm just paying more and there there really isn't uh, kind of a, a, a you know a, a joining together an integration of the front end and the back end so if you wouldn't mind kind of talk about those two things a little bit and, and kind of what Cardex does and, and why your solution stands out among these others that have kind of come in with, with surcharge solutions. Well, thanks for asking that. Uh, I would say in one line, we're a technology provider for turnkey surcharging. But if you think about what does turnkey mean? Well, to me, it's always meant frictionless and end-to-end. So I've definitely seen competitors come to market just choosing one piece of the puzzle. Like you said, it might just be a terminal where the merchant has to click credit or debit. But everything else that happens in the payments value chain is left in someone else's scope. And so there are so many things that the merchant may have to do in order to get the surcharge product up and running. And that means a lot of friction. They might have to register themselves with the brands. They might have to reconcile at the end of the month. We took in these fees from the surcharge program, but then here's what we paid to our uh, processor. And that's a really clunky and confusing process. Uh, So the way we've conceived it is that everything in that chain from authorization even pre-authorization, all the way through settlement and post-settlement reporting is handled by Cardex. So whether you dip a card in a terminal, or even more importantly to me, because two-thirds of our sales are card not present, uh, when you key in a card number in an online payment page, we identify instantly, accurately, whether that card is credit that we can surcharge or debit that we can't. We actually use more than just the bin, so our PCI level one, because of some serious accuracy issues, if you're only using six, six digits of the card, excuse me, it's like the VIN of a car, actually, meaning V is in Victor. Uh, more digits tell you more about right. the card, and those digits sometimes go out way beyond six. Uh, and then even after we identify the card, we make sure that it funds to the merchant's account at a net 0% cost of its credit, meaning we take off that credit card fee and no more, so they have no reconciliation challenge. And then after that, every time they have a fund event, we give them an email that shows how much they used with the, how much they saved with the product. It's called a daily report. So they see today I saved, it might be $500 using Cardex or even more. And that's a great sales and retention touch point that we like. So the way that I, I encourage ISOs to think about Cardex is we're the product and the product support. Uh, we don't just bring on individual agents as partners, but of course we do that too. We also sign a lot of larger ISOs who then make the product available to their agent base. And we handle everything for them. It could be uh, surcharging compliance, could be marketing and some of the top verticals for surcharging, uh, could be even reconciliation for larger customers who want to see how much they're saving when they switch to the product. And that's what we do to support the partners who sell us. And there are a few different ways it can go, uh, but we're absolutely a, a partner-driven company, uh, not just ISOs and ISVs, but even a couple of the top five acquirers have direct sales teams that sell CardX. Uh, so we're in a very good position to support those partnerships. So let's let's dig into that just a little bit more. Um, so mm-hmm. you know, building upon that, let's say right now there's a you know CEO of a, of a large ISO that does you know a thousand deals a month or whatever. Let's listening to this. Mm-hmm. Um, I really think in my conversations, and I shared this with you when I was at your office, there's a little bit of a misperception among some of the larger ISOs that well we we could work with CardX. CardX is our competitor. Um, can you clarify a little bit? I know there's different ways that you can structure it, but what do you want to say to the executive or CEO of the large ISO about the Cardex opportunity and, and how that could possibly work? Well, we fit in right with their existing relationships, whether that's uh, partner relationships, acquiring relationships. Of course, it depends on the acquirer supporting sure. what we do, and not all of them do so equally. 
Uh, but we're not a competitor any more than Ingenico is a competitor. Cardex is the product. Uh, right. So we encourage them to reach out. We have some exciting stuff to share. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Jonathan, it's always such a pleasure having you on here. I know there's a lot of I, people that always want to learn you know, more about it. Go ahead, Patty. You want to say something there? No, I was just going to say I always learn so much when I talk with you, Jonathan. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm happy to come back anytime. Awesome. Well, J- Jonathan, before you go, give us some contact info. Where do people go to, to reach out to Cardex and learn more about working with you guys? Yeah, please head to cardex.com, C-A-R-D-X.com. Uh, follow us on LinkedIn as well. Uh, connect with me personally on LinkedIn and shoot me a message. I'd love that. Uh, you can also email me anytime at uh, Jonathan at cardex.com, and I'll definitely reply. Uh, the final thing I'll mention is we'll be at uh, Northeast Acquirers pretty soon uh, doing a session on surcharging with a couple great co-panelists. So if anyone's interested, uh, I invite you to please come join us. Awesome. Thanks, Excellent. Jonathan. Hey, have an awesome day, and uh, look forward to having you on here again sometime in the near future. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For the past 36 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at greensheet.com. Well, James, I know that uh, we just talked with Jonathan about this, but uh, I wanted to sort of give everybody just sort of, of a thumbnail sketch, shall we say, sure. of uh, Oklahoma um, and how surcharging is now okay. Right. Um, no, it, no pun intended, right? Okay. Every pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> you know, their, their state yeah, motto great. used to be Oklahoma is okay. So <laughs> I had to fix that in there. Nice. So anyway, but, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty big news. The Oklahoma attorney, Oklahoma's attorney general has issued a formal opinion declaring that state's ban on credit card surcharging um, was was unconstitutional. Now, right. the decision means that businesses can now apply surcharges to credit card payments so long as they clearly disclose yes. that they're being applied. Yes. Um, and it, it's interesting. What I think is interesting is what the way things transpired in Oklahoma. In right. the past, in New York, for example, and some of the other states that uh-huh. have overturned the bans, they've been court decisions. Right, right. And this has been an opinion by the state attorney general that was requested by a state senator there, um, Michael Brooks of Oklahoma City. Um, He wanted the attorney general um, to issue a legal opinion in light of recent rulings in other states. Right. So, you know, uh, as we've talked about before, uh, a U.S. Court of Appeals ruled that the California law prohibiting surcharges uh, violates commercial speech as protected by the First Amendment. Right. And that was back in 2018. Right. And that ruling stated that the uh, difference between surcharge and cash discount, quote, is in name only. Right. Right. Since a cash price is the uh, price the merchant would charge otherwise, you know. Right. So, um, and then also in 2015, um, a surcharge ban was struck down in um, Florida. 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 Okay. Florida. And last year, New York's was severely curtailed. Right. Um, And, you know, based on the same reasoning. and. And, and really, uh, all of that trickled from the Expressions Hair Design, right? Right. Which was the New York, uh, you know, the the merchants that sued the Attorney General of New York. Right. So you know, it's all kind of coming yeah. to a head now, and as as Jonathan has been explaining to us. But you know, I just thought it was interesting. It, you know, the Oklahoma Attorney General said the state's prohibition, quote, did not facially violate the First Amendment, 
but it would if interpreted consistent with the plain meaning of the word surcharge. Hmm. Okay. And that's that, that I found was interesting because one of the articles that I read on this right after it was done was somebody took uh, the Merriam-Webster dictionary definition of surcharge. Right, <laughs> right. Which was... You know, and that's yes. basically what they're saying. If we, you right, know. you, you got to be careful. It's like what you know, and I think, and I think that's a, that's a good point. And um, I'm trying to remember, I talked about this in one of my uh, videos. I think it was for an ISO that I created, actually, but uh, or you know, a video I created for an ISO. Right. But um, you know, this idea that you know this word surcharge, and then we have this concept of surcharging. Right. And people a lot of times, you know, have these things as the same and they're they're not. They're not. I mean, the idea of a surcharge, I don't know the exact definition, but it's basically you're adding something on. Right. Right. But a surcharging program, this is a very specific payments industry thing right. that Visa has in their contract that they've, you know, uh, I don't know if you call it regulated, but they've they well, control. Well, yeah, it's, it's rules. It's, it's, it's rules. Visa, Visa rules. rules. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. So, so this is what the um, state Senator Brooks said uh, after the the attorney general's ruling he says as a result of the of the surcharging re, surcharge restriction both businesses and consumers in oklahoma have been denied information that would help each group make important decisions about how they buy and sell products and services this opinion gives consumers more choice on how to pay and will give merchants more flexibility on how to manage costs and that's really what it boils down to. That's actually it's nice. That's you know unusual to hear a senator actually say something. Actually that makes say something, <laughs> right? <laughs> but I, that's uh, yeah. To me, that's that's exactly what it is. And uh, you know, I know Jan Jonathan covered this, but I just want to go over it again. You know, with this turnaround in Oklahoma, surcharging is now legal in, in all but four states. Right. Colorado, Connecticut, Kansas, and Massachusetts. Yep. Um. And, um, you and that's going to be a big watershed moment. You know, I think it could still be another year and a half away, but it'll right. be a big watershed moment once all of those have capitulated right. and, and don't have a ban on surcharging. And once once it's 50 state strategy, that's then it's pretty you know, clear. And but, yeah. you know, the thing that I've always found and, you know, my years of, of, of writing and, and reporting and, right. and researching in this area is that in particularly in banking and payments. Yeah. As California, New York goes. So goes the rest of the country. Right. You know, when right. you have the big, especially now we'll have Texas, Florida, Texas, Florida, California, New York, right. Illinois. Those are like the five right. powerhouses. That's where you have the biggest right. centers of population. Right. The most banks. Right. Right. You know, and so I really yeah. think, you know, and it, and it goes back to something I think we spoke about last year uh, towards the end of the year. You know, I remember being on a panel at NEAA in uh, 2019, mm -hmm. and, you know, we were asked, what do we think is going to, you know, what's going to be the big deal in 2019? And right. I said, surcharging, you know, surcharges and cash discounts are going to be commingled and become pretty widespread. Right. And I think that this, you know, maybe I was off by a year, but. Right. <laughs> right. Well, and I think it was correct, though, that. They, you know, these programs, if you look at them as a whole, right, you know, they have taken off. I, I, to me, I still, though, it's in, you know, obviously Jonathan Rossi, you know, his opinion on surcharging, and we talked through that. And I think for me, though, it's still the interesting thing is still going to be, you know, once this watershed moment happens and it's a 50 state strategy with surcharging. You know, keep in mind, I at least I'm not aware of any state law or any court decision or any attorney general legal opinion that has mentioned anything about a debit card versus a credit card. No. 
what they've all said is a merchant should be able, you know, it's a violation of free speech <clears throat> to tell a merchant how they can communicate their prices. Right. They haven't said unless it's a debit card. Right. So, so to me, so the, the visa rules, you're, you're the visa to, rules right? are yeah. really the only thing that is keeping us from having a surcharge program where you just surcharge everything and it just is so much easier and simpler right. and all that. Um, and so, you know, obviously visa, you know, that's part of the settlement. And so this would have to be overturned by the courts, et cetera. And in the meantime, we have our cash discount programs and our, our non-cash adjustments and our in-kind incentives and all this. All that, right. But I think, I think that it'll be interesting to see, you know, to me, it just seems inevitable. Maybe I'm being naive, but it seems inevitable. No, I think it is inevitable. That it's going to be everything. And I mean, maybe it's going to be in three years, five years. I don't know. But I think eventually it'll be everything. I think it's going to take somebody suing Visa. Exactly. It'll yeah. take a class action. It'll take a class action suit, right. you know, that says, you know, from the consumer's perspective, right. there's no real distinction between yes. a credit and a debit. And, and I think that because Visa already knows how that would go. Right. Since the Supreme Court pretty much already ruled on that case, pretty much, <laughs> like pretty you know much, I mean? yeah. um, they already ruled that with expression hair design, and and their 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 you know unanimous, unambiguous decision on it was a violation of free speech to ban surcharging. They did not mention anything in that opinion about it being you know credit or debit, right? Right. right. So I think they already know that's going to go, and so I think I think everybody's like, man, why? You know, I just talked to an ISO owner just recently that said, you know, he he was rolling out a compliant surcharge program, mm-hmm. and he's like, you know, we rolled this out because we want to be in compliance with Visa rules, and he's but at the same time he said we're just so frustrated we don't understand why isn't visa taking more action to squash the non-compliant programs mm. and i said because they don't want the class action that's gonna right follow that's gonna follow and then sure. you know so now there's you know how many thousands i don't even know how many tens of thousands of merchants right now are doing what visa would would probably consider a non-compliant surcharge oh, yeah. program oh yeah so i mean you and know, i do mean they i've want... come across a few of them myself i'm right. sure you have too. Uh, absolutely you know and I... visa just doesn't want the class action because they know I how just, that's yeah, gonna end exactly when i come across i'm like you know you just might want to word that a little bit different right right <laughs> you know? exactly but yeah. but i think you're right i thought they don't want the they don't want the legal hassle they don't because if they have the class action they and that goes to the courts i think it's pretty clear at this point that surcharging would be the same way as as it is for visa and mastercard in australia mm-hmm. <laughs> it would be you know surcharge on everything right credit debit doesn't matter and i think you also have you know when you have things like the first datas of the world right. being part of this mega Pfizer kind of organization. Conglomerate. <laughs> this it's way, conglomerate, yes. yeah. Sure. Right? I mean, when first data was on its own, it could kind of toe the line for Visa. Right. 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 But now it's part of a company that's you know, almost as well capitalized as Visa is. Right, right. So they, you know, are, yeah. you know, less inclined to toe the line. Yeah. And I'm just using that as an example. I mean, there's right, been other right. mega right, mergers sure. in the last year. Sure. Um, and yeah. I, I think that it makes it harder for Visa to push people around. It does. Yeah. 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 yeah it'll be very interesting to see how it plays out, though. Yeah, it will. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by InstantQuoteTool.com. With over 30 training courses covering everything from sales objections to statement analysis, ISOs are using our learning management system to help new agents understand the industry and how to sell merchant services. Industry veterans love our courses because we dive deeper into concepts such as interchange and explore new industry trends like cash discounting, NFC, and the resurgence of American Express with the OptiBlue program. Put all of these training courses together with the leading proposal creation tool for merchant services agents in the field, and we believe our branded ISO solution and individual user package is a must-have. Visit instantquotetool.com today or email support at instantquotetool.com to learn more.
So, Patty, I've really enjoyed doing this little mini-series on killer phone scripts. Oh, I find it very enlightening, James. Well, I mean, thank and, you. and the passion that you bring to it is... is I love it. I really yeah, do. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's pure sales. And, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, to me, it's like face-to-face sales versus phone sales. You know, phone sales, all you've got is your words. Right. The tone of your voice, how fast you talk. There's not as many variables. And you don't give You've got to get yeah, it right. Yeah, and, and, there's, and there should be no time for giving them to hang up the phone. Exactly. There's no room for error. Right. You're no face-to-face and you screw up, they're going to say, I'm not interested, but you can still say something else. Right. On the phone, they're going to say, I'm not interested, and you're going to hear gonna a click. And they're going to hang up. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then you're done. Yeah, right? Right. So kind of catching you up, high level, where we were at. So we got the decision maker on the phone. Last week, we talked about getting around the non-decision maker. The week before that, we talked about what do you say to them. And just very quickly, you're going to introduce and you're going to ask a question. And do it quick. Yes. And you're going to ask a question that a customer would ask, but also one that's relevant to what you're talking about. So that they still are like, maybe this is a customer, maybe not. The example you gave, I think, was uh, do you have a, a... a gift card program. Yeah, do you have a gift card program? Right. Uh, you know, do you accept credit cards? Right. Or you know, do you have a loyalty program? Whatever. Right. Whatever. Exactly. Right. So these are all questions you can ask. Well, now we're at a point where what do we do next? Well, now we have to very quickly justify, introduce ourselves, and justify the reason for the call. Mm-hmm. So I always start out with the reason for my call is mm-hmm. because I think people want that. They don't. You know. When you're on the phone, it's it's funny. It's really a constant back and forth of trying to get a few more seconds of their time. Right. You've got to justify why should this person listen to you for another four seconds. Mm-hmm. Then you're going to have to justify it again. You know. Right. So when you say the reason for my call today is, that lets them know, okay, there's one thing that he's about to tell me that's the reason. If mm-hmm. I don't like the reason, I can hang up. I can hang up. Right. If I do like the reason, I can listen a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Right? So you say the reason for my call is... And now what we're going to do is we're going to use some keywords. Now, Patty, I think it's so interesting because I think so many, uh, you know, salespeople are on the phone. They're calling small business owners and they have this mental image of the business owner back in their easy chair. Yeah, sure. Intently listening to this call. And they're probably doing three or four other things, exactly. right? Right. Reading they're up customers. Uh, waiting on the inventory order to come in. Right. Trying to fire an employee that just keeps calling Thinking off. Thinking about payroll. Right. Right. Now, the only reason they haven't hung up on you yet is because they think you might be a customer. Mm-hmm. Or because the name you used of your company is interesting enough that they need to figure out what you are. Right. 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 But one of those two reasons is why they haven't hung up. They're not really listening. They're just waiting until they find out who you are and decide whether or not they can hang up on you. Sure. So you better make Make sure that when you introduce yourself, you include some things that are going to keep them on the phone. What I believe works really well is to use keywords. Mm-hmm. So a keyword is a word or phrase that is going to grab their attention because it applies specifically to them. Make them take notice. Yes. Right. A couple of examples. Number one, you could use the business type and mm-hmm. the geography. Excellent. Right. So, hey, you know, the reason for my call today is I'm reaching out to all of the hair salons in the Denver area, uh-huh. whatever, right, with right. with this question. Um, I'm doing a survey of all the hair salons in the Denver area. Um, another option is you can use associations, mm-hmm. things like that. So mm-hmm. maybe you have a connection with a bank uh, or an association and you can call and say, the reason for my call today is I'm reaching out to all the business members of the you know, Denver Chamber of Commerce, right? Right. Still, again, using business type is even better. I'm reaching out to the auto repair shops that are part of the, you know, Denver Area Chamber of Commerce. Uh-huh. That is so specific 
that no matter what that business owner is doing, they are going to pause for a second. Sure. Because they need to know, wait a second, hold on. This is about auto repair shops. I'm an auto repair shop. This is about Denver. I'm in Denver. Denver. And this is the Chamber of Commerce, and I'm a member. Right. This really has to do with me. I better listen up. Sure. So you've got to make sure that you have that. You have to have something that's really going to grab their attention right off the bat um, that's going to kind of keep them uh, on the line for you. Mm -hmm. Okay? Now the next thing is we've got them on the line. We have them interested. Now is when we're going to hit them with the value proposition. Okay. The value proposition is going to have to be a specific problem that you know that they have that you're solving for them and all the other people that you just kind of mentioned. And again, it has to be stated succinctly. Exactly. Right. Very, very quickly. And so you're going to state that. And then what you're going to do is you're going to basically make a trial close in a way and close isn't really the right word you're, you're you're closing them on listening to you for another 10 seconds sure but the idea here is you're going to give them some kind of a benefit so maybe it is um you know we have a proprietary point of sale system that helps you manage your food inventory to eliminate food waste or reduce food waste okay, right? right so then i would say something like um if we could take your current food waste and cut it in half i'm sure you'd at least be interested in receiving more information about that, wouldn't you? Of course. So the idea is use those keywords at the beginning of the follow-up. Then you get into, okay, um, this is what we have. This is what it, the problem that we solve. Uh -huh. Then if we could solve that problem for you, I'm sure you'd be interested in learning a little bit more about it. Uh -huh. Now, you got to be careful here. This is not, I'm sure you'd want to sign up with us. Yeah, right. No, they don't yeah. even, they don't know you. They're not going to sign up with you right now. That's not enough yet. But the thing is, what's a very small, what's a manageable yes that you can get, mm -hmm. right? So right. I'm sure you'd be interested in at least, I love using the word at least, right. two words, I guess. Mm -hmm. there, but I love that. You know, I'm sure you'd at least want to learn more, wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. Here's where we're going to use our tie downs. That's an old uh, Tom Hopkins uh, idea. Right. Wouldn't you? Doesn't it? Don't they? Won't they? You know, right. so we're going to use that at the end. And we're going to, you know, wouldn't you want to learn a little bit more about this if we really could cut your food waste in half? Right. You know, I'm sure you'd want to know more about this, Patty, if we could actually reduce your whatever expense by 60 percent. And, you know, so this idea of get that approval now that they've agreed to that now and only now we can finally take a breath. They've actually agreed. Now we have permission to talk for like 15 seconds, maybe 30, depending on what you're selling. And we have permission to slow down. Uh -huh. pronunciate our words and actually get our point across because now and only now they are actually listening right. because they've given us that micro commitment. Mm -hmm. So what do you do with a prospect that's actually listening to you? What a shocker. We're going to cover that next week in our final episode. Sounds like a plan. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production from greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. We hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.